creation as a mercy to all mankind and every other creature of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala from the time that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam came into this world his barakat and his blessings became apparent and then after he was blessed with nubuwwat from that very moment till the last breath rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was in this mission of inviting people towards Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala teaching them how to recognize Allah ta'ala and making them come onto the path which will bring success for them in this dunya and everlasting success in the hereafter so the entire life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was filled with all these guidance advice lessons and even the last part of his life was no different the very end of his life in this world when he became very ill even that period of time is filled with so many lessons so today we are going to be dealing with and discussing the final days of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam on this earth and his parting advices to the ummah with this hope and this intention that Allah Taala make this discussion a means of us taking to heart these advices that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave and making it a part and parcel of our lives that is the object of all these programs these discussions it's not just a coming and going just to say something just to listen to something and then to maybe comment about what it was or whether it was interesting or not interesting the object is not that the object is that something we must take back we must bring something into our lives we must start improving ourselves getting closer to allah tabaraka wa taala so that is the object that is the purpose of all these programs that take place that is the intention that we should make that allah taala make it a means of benefit for us and grant us the tawfiq of amal in the surah of the quran sharif that was recited suratul Surah Iza Jaa Nasrullahi Wal Fath In this surah, Surah Nas Allah Ta'ala mentions to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that when you see the help of Allah Ta'ala coming and the clear victory then together with that وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجَا and when you see people entering into the deen of Allah Ta'ala in huge numbers in groups upon groups then fasabbih bihamdi rabbika wastaghfir then glorify allah tabaraka wa taala together with his praises and seek his forgiveness innahu kana tawwaba allah tabaraka is most forgiving 
So in this was a glad tiding being given to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that this victory is there, the help of Allah Ta'ala is coming. But when this surah was revealed, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Ta'ala who began crying. And when he was asked, why are you crying? He says that this is an indication that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's mission on earth is now complete and he will soon leave us. And this was the clear understanding, this was what was meant here, that now the help of Allah Ta'ala has come, Makkah Mukarramah has been conquered, huge areas have come under the control of the Muslims, and people were coming into Islam in huge numbers, barely in a span of 23 years. Nabi Wasallam started off as one person, and in a span of 23 years, in fact, just under 23 years, in Hajjatul Wada, there were more than 10,000 Sahaba that had come for Hajj. This was only those who came for Hajj. How many more there were? Just in the span of 23 years. Huge clans and tribes were all coming to Islam. So this is what was being expressed, this glad tiding. But at the same time, this was an indication that Rasulullah will not be in this dunya for long. And it was just 80 days, 80 days from the time that this surah was revealed, this was revealed on the occasion of Hajjatul Wada, and barely 80 days later, Rasulullah departed from this dunya. So in this, there was this clear message that Rasulullah is now going to be leaving this dunya. And on several occasions, Nabi himself, he gave this message. In that very Hajjatul Wada, on several occasions, Rasulullah addressed the Sahaba, and he said to them, Khudu anni manasikakum that learn your rights of Hajj from me now. Come learn it. Ask the question because this was now the farewell Hajj. Now the Sahaba didn't realize that this is never going to be, this, the opportunity is never going to come again to make Hajj with Rasulullah So he kept on saying, Khudu anni manasikakum that perhaps we will not meet after this year. When saying this, he would repeat this line, perhaps we might not meet after this year. So the indications were already there. Nabi Wasallam gave these indications as well to several Sahaba. This was Allah Ta'ala had already informed him that your time now is close to departing from this dunya. In fact, in one hadith it is mentioned that on occasion Rasulullah Wasallam said to one Sahabi that uh, Abu Muwayhiba radiallahu ta'ala an, that Allah Ta'ala has instructed me that I should go and seek forgiveness on behalf of those who are buried in Jannatul Baqi. So, you come along with me. The Sahabi Abu Uhibah radiallahu ta'ala an, he went along and after Rasulullah went and stood by the graves of Jannatul Baqi and he made dua for them and then he turned to the Sahabi and he said, Oh Abu Muwayhiba, I was offered the keys to all the treasures of dunya and also to remain in dunya, to remain in this world till the end of time and then proceed to Jannah. That was one option and the other option was that I should now go to meet Allah Ta'ala. So the Sahabi Abu Muayhiba radiallahu ta'ala an, he said to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that please choose to remain and then go to Jannah. Rasulullah said, no, I've already chosen to go and meet Allah Ta'ala. Meaning that 
I want to go and meet Allah Ta'ala. This was already by the decree of Allah Ta'ala that his time on earth was for that fixed duration. But he was given this option and in this option also Rasulullah chose to meet Allah Ta'ala. So already these indications were there that this is a limited time that he is now left in dunya and he would soon be proceeding out of this dunya to meet Allah Ta'ala. Rasulullah returned from Hajjatul Wada and that was in Zul Hijjah and Muharram and towards the latter part of Safar it was approximately 13 days prior to the demise of Rasulullah as far as the date of the demise of Nabi Islam is concerned there are several different views regarding this among the historians, among the muhaddithin, muarrikhin but the more preferred view is that it was on the second of Rabiul Awwal now the aspect here is also something noteworthy that regarding the date of the birth of Rasulullah and likewise the date of his demise both these dates there's various views there isn't one single view <coughs> some of the view is 8th of Rabiul Awwal some 12, some 2nd likewise the birth and the demise what we clearly understand from this is that these occasions were not commemorated were not the birth was not celebrated and these occasions were not observed by the Sahaba every year if that was the case it would have been impossible for, their, for any difference of opinion to have occurred with regards to the date it would have been established every year this is the date the Sahaba celebrated the birth of Nabi this is the date they observed the day of the demise of Rasulullah but there is no such mention anywhere and as a result there is even this difference of opinion because no such day was observed or celebrated so in any case the approximately 13 days the 13 days before the demise of Rasulullah he suddenly took ill and this was when the final illness commenced now in this time also many many things happened and these are also things filled with lessons for us and that is the object the object is to take these lessons when this illness commenced, it commenced with a headache so it just happened that at that time Sayyidina Aisha she too was suffering a headache so she said that oh what a headache I have so Rasulullah just cheering her up in a light hearted manner he said to her well look if this headache is so severe and that if you are fearing that you might not survive it so then it's really not much that you need to worry about because if I survive you, you pass away before me then I will make dua for you I will then intercede on your behalf to Allah Ta'ala so in other words you got the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala making dua on your behalf what do you have to then worry about? Now this was more in a light-hearted conversation. So that Aisha ta'ala in that same tone and on the same note of light-heartedness, she said, well, it seems like you're waiting for me to pass away. And by that evening you'll bury me in the morning and by that evening you will be one of your other wives. But now this was that atmosphere at home. That despite the illness, etc., what is the point and the message and the lesson here, that there was this very, very very easy going atmosphere this is the and in this part of life now Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is about to 
barely 13 days before he could leave this dunya. And this is the message that is being given here. That this is how a home should function. This is how a home should be. Very light, very, very uh, easy going. There is no tension. Yes, the odd occasion something comes up, but that should very quickly fizzle out. That should be addressed in an appropriate manner. And those things should all just disappear. There must be this muhabbat, this very good atmosphere in a home. In any case, after, when, when this happened, Nabi Salaam then said to us, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala, Balwa ra'asaha. You are complaining of your headache. You are unaware what extent of a headache I am experiencing right now. This was when he, for the first time, Nabi Salaam expressed this difficulty, this headache that he was experiencing. And this is where the final illness commenced. On this occasion, Rasulullah then had intended to call for Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq and his son as a witness. And what Nabi intended to do was to appoint him as the Khalifa, formally appoint him. And in one hadith it is mentioned that Nabi said that my, my fear was that I, I was concerned that perhaps somebody else might have some aspirations later. That perhaps somebody else was wanting to become the Khalifa. Or somebody else might just claim that I am more worthy. So this is why I wanted to call Abu Bakr and I wanted to formally appoint him as the Khalifa. But then Nabi Salaam says, but then I thought about it, Allah Ta'ala also won't allow this to happen. And the believers also won't accept anybody else but Abu Bakr. So therefore I am not now doing this formally. Allah Ta'ala won't allow this to happen. So this is very very clear that what rank and position Abu Bakr held. And also that Nabi Sallallahu himself wanted to formally confirm this appointment. But then he left it to the believers to choose because he was sure that they will accept nobody to succeed Nabi Sallallahu except Abu Bakr himself. So therefore this was then not formally done. Allah Ta'ala had decreed that this is going to happen in any case and that is what thereafter happened. With regards to the final illness, one of the days uh, Nabi said to Aisha that, Oh Aisha, I continue to experience the pain of that poisoned food which was fed to me in Khaybar. There was one Jewish lady, she sent some food for Rasulullah after Khaybar was conquered. But she had actually poisoned the food. So when Nabi was about to partake from it, so the Jibreel came and informed him, but he had just barely put it in his mouth. And as soon as he was informed, he removed it. But it was so heavily poisoned, that merely just placing it in his mouth had already the effect of that poison had gone in. And on this occasion, Rasulullah is saying, that throughout my life from that time till now, I was constantly experiencing the pain of that poison. And now, I can actually feel it cutting my jugular vein. That it has now reached that point where my iota or jugular vein it is actually cutting it. In other words, it's now becoming fatal. What we understand from this is that apparently Rasulullah passed away at home so he was not on a battlefield 
not a kind of shahadat, but the fact that this was the poison in the path of Allah Ta'ala that was fed to him and was now becoming fatal. Its effect was now taking his life apparently as a means. So this too was a rank of shahadat. Rasulullah was blessed with this shahadat. In this time when Rasulullah became a little more ill, it was about five days later, and until that time, he was still keeping up with the various, with the, with the terms of the various wives. That every night, whoever's turn it was, he would spend the night at that wife's house. But as the days progressed in this final illness, five days later it became quite difficult to keep moving from home to home. So Rasulullah didn't directly say anything because he didn't want to impose anything on anyone, but he kept on asking, Aina ana ghadan. He was already giving this indication from one, two days before, Aina ana ghadan, Aina ana ghadan, tomorrow whose house I'm going to be in? Tomorrow whose house I'm going to be in? So the Azwari Mutahharat understood what is being referred to here. They all knew that Nabi Sallallahu has a very special uh, attachment to Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha, and especially in a time of illness, a person is most comfortable where the heart is most attached. So they understood that this is what his indication is and they all very happily and wholeheartedly consented that you do not have to keep coming from house to house now. You may just remain stationed in one place, remain stationed in the house of Sayyidina Aisha These are all co-wives and the rivalry of co-wives is well known. There is nothing to uh, discuss in that regard. And this existed in that time is part of human nature among women. But the lesson in this is, despite that natural rivalry, but they gave preference to the comfort of Rasulullah despite their own desire. Their desire was, my night, Nabi Salaam should be in my house, and I should have the privilege and the honor of having Rasulullah I will make his khidmat. But they understood what his comfort was. And despite wanting this privilege and honor, and they can see the condition that Nabi Salaam is in, so they would have been even more eager to make the khidmat, but they preferred his comfort and his ease over their desire. This is a very important principle that we need to bear in mind all the time. Many a times we want to do things because we desire it, regardless of who it hurts, who it harms, that is now who it hurts and harms, that's a very far away thing actually, that should never be the case. But even if it causes some inconvenience to somebody else, etc., that doesn't really concern us. What concerns us is that I must get what I am desiring, what I want. But we learn from this lesson of the Azwari Mutaharat that how they conducted themselves in this time and they, despite this natural rivalry that exists, but they did not give preference to their own feeling and desire, they gave preference to the comfort of Rasulullah Then to take it further, it was just one week before Rasulullah passed away, and in this time, one of the things that happened, that Nabi he called for several Sahaba, and he asked them to be brought to the house of Sayyidina Aisha when they came, so he saw them, and as soon as he saw them, the Mubarak eyes of Rasulullah welled up with tears. 
and then he addressed them and he said marhaban bikum wa hayyakumullah wa hafizakumullah wa rafa'akumullah and he gave them dua from dua welcome to you may allah taala give you barakah in your lives may allah taala give you izzat and honor may allah tabaraka wa taala protect you and he gave them so many duas and then he discussed various details these were various sahaba specific sahaba that were invited and he discussed various details about what's to be done upon his demise the various details about how things should be handled what's to be done how it's to be done because obviously this was something very very unique for the first time the sahaba are going to be facing such a thing but it just sounded like a general discussion and in this many many details rasulullah sallallahu alaihi himself gave about how things should be handled and he even mentioned on this occasion to usman radhiyallahu ta'ala that a time will come when allah ta'ala will clothe you with a garment and then people will try to snatch it away from you but you remain firm in other words you don't just throw out the garment and give it to them this garment was referring to the khilafat that a time will come when you will be the khalifa and you remain steadfast on it the hypocrites and others will try to snatch it away from you you remain steadfast what we have learned already abu bakr radhiyallahu ta'ala an nabi sallallahu alaihi himself wanted to appoint him as a khalifa and hazrat usman nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam him you also one day will be the khalifa so all these people were rightfully appointed khulafa in their times at the time of hazrat usman radhiyallahu ta'ala an he was the rightfully appointed khalifa at that time and this was by the uh, endorsement of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in any case among the things that then transpired in this time the next day was a thursday and the illness of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam intensified even further so on this day he came out of the house after having taken a bath and with the help of his fazl bin abbas radhiyallahu ta'ala an nabi sallallahu alaihi was suffering with a very severe headache he had asked uh, for a bandage to be tied on his mubarak head very very tightly so that this will give some kind of relief from that excruciating pain that he was experiencing and despite this pain nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam came out of the house came to the masjid said to the fazl radhiyallahu ta'ala an that called the sahaba it was not the time of salah at that time so he came into the masjid and asked for the sahaba to be called everybody came and when they gathered then rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave a khutbah and in this khutbah there were various things that were mentioned among the things that nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that inni faratukum ala alhawd i am proceeding before you and i will intercede on your behalf our meeting place inshallah will be at the hawza kausar where i will be giving my ummatis the water of kausar to drink and then nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam addressed them and said that i do not fear in that in the one hadith it is mentioned inni lastu akhsha alaykum an tushriku ba'di that i don't have this concern meaning the sahaba referring to the people of hijaz that will come there after the people who would live in makkah mukarrama madina munawwara in time to come nabi sallallahu alaihi said that my concern is not that you would be start falling into shirk this is not my my concern i don't expect this to ever happen but what i'm worried about is walakinni akhsha alaykum ad-dunya an tanafasuha kama tanafasuha i'm worried about that the dunya will start opening out for you 
And when the dunya starts opening out for you, you are going to start competing with one another to amass more of the dunya. And when you start doing this, the dunya will destroy you, you will destroy yourselves, like the past nations destroyed themselves. Now, Rasulullah is parting from the ummad. Like a father parting from his family. In fact, what each father can have as much compassion and kindness and love for his family than what Rasulullah had for his ummad. Father parting from his family, husband parting from his wife, and father parting from his children, his biggest concern often would be that what they are going to do to survive after me. Will they be able to manage how they will go about with things? Now if a person is sick and now he can see life now suddenly leaving, these are the concerns. Rasulullah was not concerned about that where they will eat from. He was concerned about the dunya opening out for them. And on the other hand, if supposing while a person is passing away and somebody comes and tells him, don't worry, your family, I've got a huge property, they can have it for themselves. He feels very relieved that I was giving them 10,000 a month, this will bring them 50,000 a month. But Nabi Islam is saying, I'm very concerned about this, that the dunya will open out about you. And when the dunya opens out, then many, many things which normally won't even cross the person's mind. But now with the excess dunya, and if that excess dunya is not coupled with a very, very strong level of deen, then this excess dunya and strong level of deen, without this, this being coupled together, then the dunya becomes a great trial and a tribulation. The dunya becomes a fitna. And this is what Rasulullah is expressing his concern about. That you will start vying with one another and it will destroy you as it destroyed people before you. So we too should be concerned that when dunya starts opening out, it must not become a fitna. That dunya must not start making us compete with others. If somebody else has something, I must have something better. Somebody is wearing something, I must wear something better. If somebody has built something, we must build something better. Somebody is driving a certain kind of car, then we must drive something better also. And then we must also be able to put it on WhatsApp, put it on, on, on whatever, Instagram and Facebook and whatever else, so that everybody else must also see that we are not down and out, we have also something. We can also show off, we can also show where we went, we can also show where we, what we did, so we can also show off. Otherwise then how are we going to show off? Now this is the tragedy of all these social media things, that it has made people into big show-offs. That everything they must show off to the whole world. Put it on social media and show off to anyone and everyone. This is what Rasulullah warned about. Allah Ta'ala has blessed somebody with some ni'mat and they enjoy it, mashallah, enjoy it. But what's the need to show it off to the whole world? And to boast about it, to brag about it? No. In a halal way provided it is being used correctly in a halal way, even if a person is now enjoying some better food to eat, some other luxuries and comforts, within the limits, within the parameters of deen, alhamdulillah. But what is the need to show off about this to the whole world? So in any case, following the, continuing with the discussion, then Rasulullah delivered the following khutbah after that. And in that he mentioned that Allah Ta'ala has given a choice to, the, to his servant between dunya and that is which is by him. So the servant chose that is which is by him. And Abu Bakr began weeping upon this. And this is when people asked him that what are you doing? 
He said, this is the indication that Rasulullah has chosen to go away to Allah Ta'ala. But on this occasion, when Nabi Sallallahu saw him crying, he said to him, La tabki, la tabki ya Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, don't cry. And then he explained, Inna amanna nasi alayya fi suhbatihi wa maadihi Abu Bakr. That the one who has done me the greatest favors in his wealth and in his companionship is Abu Bakr radiallahu Among all people, he has been the one that has been Shown, has shown me the greatest amount of kindness and favors and therefore he has the special place in my heart. But if I was to take anybody as a very, very bosom friend, then I would have made him the bosom friend. But that friendship is for Allah alone. But the friendship of Islam, the brotherhood of Islam, that is there with everybody and with Abu Bakr ta'ala, with the highest level. As far as these khutbahs are concerned, Nabi Islam in this khutbah he also he expressed something extremely important and among the things he said he expressed the importance of the rights of people in the khutbah that he gave he said look the time has come very close and it has become necessary upon me to fulfill the rights that I owe to anybody and then Nabi Islam addressed the sahaba can we imagine Sayyidul Kainat, Tajdar Madina, Fakhred Alam Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the most beloved of Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, and having every authority to take the necessary action whenever was required. But despite that, he is now addressing his ummatis. And he is saying to them that the time has come very close for me to now, and it's necessary for me to now fulfill the rights that I owe to people. So therefore, Mankuntu Jalatu Lahu Zahran. If I had lashed anybody's back unjustifiably, if that wasn't something that I was entitled to do, then there's my back, you come and lash me. Can you imagine in the midst of Sahaba, Rasulullah presenting himself, that look, if I made a mistake somewhere, you come and take revenge now. You come and kind of baggage to the akhirat. Whereas Rasulullah was masoom, there was never any sin on him. But this was the lesson that was being given to the ummah, that in such a difficult time, when he was in such pain, and it was so difficult for him to even walk, he needed the support of two people, he still comes into the masjid in this manner, and he addresses the sahaba, and he's saying that if I lashed anybody on his back unjustifiably, here's my back, you come and take revenge now. And, فَإِن شَتَمْتُ لَهُ عِرْدًا Then, if I have said something offensive to anybody, said something against the honor of someone, then you come and take revenge now. And likewise, Nabi Sallallahu said, the wealth, if I have taken anybody's wealth wrongfully, you come and take it now. If I am owing somebody something, you come and take it now. As mentioned, Rasulullah Sallallahu was ma'asum. He was sinless. There was never a chance that he could have done anything that was a sin. And these kind of actions are sinful obviously. Nabi Islam never committed any sin. But yet he is presenting himself. And he's not just sufficing on just saying it just casually. He is then going on further to say that look, nobody should ever entertain such a thought that if I go to take revenge now, then maybe Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will begrudge me. He might be 
can think something negative about me that is not my way, that is not my nature, that is not even something that behoves of me to hold any grudges in my heart for anyone, have any dirt in my heart for anyone. This was the Mubarak heart of Rasulullah Completely clean. On one occasion, Nabi said to Anas that, Oh my beloved son, keep your heart completely clean of malice. Why? Because that is my sunnah. That is my way. That is the way my heart is. I don't hold any ill feeling for anybody. I don't have any grudges, any malice, any dirt for anyone in my heart. So this is my way. And the one who loves my way and then adopt it, practice it, he will be with me in Jannah. Can we imagine, subhanallah, that keeping the heart clean, which was the Mubarak heart, the way of the Mubarak heart of Rasulullah sallallahu and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is saying, the one who adopts this, then this will become the means of him being with me in Jannah. Subhanallah, we cannot imagine what a tremendously great aspect this is, that Nabi Islam is giving it such a great rank, keeping our hearts clean. Over trivial matters, we sometimes harbor things. One is on the moment, spur of the moment, the person gets upset, person gets a little irritated sometimes, gets upset. It's human nature, these things happen. But a mu'min and an ummati of Rasulullah wasallam very quickly then passes by this, allows this to fizzle out, allows the heart one day, two days, by the third day there's nothing left. There's no trace of that. The third day has passed and that heart is clean now. Then if there is some, just some, occasionally some thought comes and a person feels pain, that's a different thing, that's human nature. But the heart is still kept clean. He's not holding any grudge against the person, not thinking ill of him, not feeling some kind of need for revenge of any sort. He lets it pass. This is the, mo- the way that a mu'min conducts himself. So this is a very, very significant lesson, the importance of the rights of people. Can we imagine to what extent Nabi Salaam went to express this? And then he even said, I will not suffice with this one announcement. After the Zuhar Salah, Nabi Salaam climbed the member again. And he repeated this whole message once more. That if anybody I have taken, I have hurt somebody some way, you come and take revenge now. After this khutbah was over, Rasulullah even asked the Sahaba if anybody wants to have any specific dua made for him, they should request it. And some requested some duas to be made. Nabi Islam made dua for them. Then he went to the house of Aisha anha, and the women were gathered there. And he addressed them also. And he addressed them in a similar manner. And thereafter he said to them, in like he had addressed the Sahaba, the men, that if anybody has any specific dua that they wish to ask for, they should ask for dua. So on this occasion, one woman, she requested dua. And the dua that she asked for, she had gestured towards her tongue. In other words, she was, she made the message, gave the message of, that I have a problem with the use of my tongue. Perhaps she used to talk much maybe, or maybe she used to sometimes say things which are not absolutely the best thing to say. Sometimes maybe say something which others might have been finding offensive. Or whatever else might have been there. But now in this gathering, she gestured to her tongue to give this indication that there is a problem with the usage of my tongue. Rasulullah made dua for her. 
And thereafter it is mentioned that this dua, the effects of this dua were such that she became among the most righteous people. And she would only say that which was good. She never ever said anything which was out of line, out of turn. This was the barakat of the dua of Rasulullah But in this is a very, very important lesson for us. That she acknowledged her problem. She did not try to justify the wrong. There was a problem. She understood and acknowledged the problem. That acknowledgement of the problem became the stepping stone to the remedy. Because she acknowledged the problem, she asked for dua. And she asked for dua, it was her good fortune. She asked for dua at the right time. And that dua became accepted. And subhanallah, she became a person who would only use her tongue correctly. Now we also have to look into our lives and look at what problems we have, not to try to justify the wrongs. One is that a person is saying that, I'm trying, I'm not yet succeeding, but I understand that this is wrong, I acknowledge it, this is my weakness. Inshallah, the tawfiq will come. But we must make the effort as well. Make the effort, make sincere dua, request advice from the pious people, and we make efforts to try and cleanse ourselves out of those evils and wrongs. But the starting point is the acknowledgement. If there's a denial, if a person is in a state of denial, then it's a very far-fetched thing then. Then it's very difficult that this uh, step will be taken to rectify the wrong. So we should be very sincere and honest with ourselves. That if I have a problem of some sort, I must accept this is my problem. This is my weakness. Then we seek advice of how to overcome this. And inshallah, with the tawfiq of Allah Ta'ala, this is something that will become possible, that uh, we will be able to, then inshallah, overcome these problems and difficulties. Thereafter, it was the next day, the Thursday, after Rasulullah uh, fell ill, that Thursday that came, Nabi Islam performed the Asr and the Maghrib Salah, and this, this was the last complete Salah that he performed from beginning to end. Thereafter, Rasulullah did not lead any complete Salah with the Sahaba. This was the last occasion when he was the Imam for the Salah entirely. The next Salah was the Isha Salah. At the time of the Isha Salah, Nabi Islam became very ill. And to the extent that he was almost losing consciousness, after a while, he asked the people of the household that Asal Nas, have the people already performed the Salah? The Isha Salah? They said, no, they haven't yet performed the Isha Salah. They are waiting for you. Rasulullah then asked for a tub to be brought. He sat into the tub, a huge tub. And then they poured water over him to sort of freshen him up, take a bath. After this, he started trying to stand up. But as soon as he tried to stand up, this was so, the, the weakness was to such an extent, and this much of an exertion was too much, as a result of which he fell unconscious. After some time he regained consciousness, again the first question, Asallan Nas, have people performed the Salah? The Sahaba performed the Salah? said, no, they haven't yet performed the Salah, they're waiting for you. For the second time, Nabi Islam tries to now, he takes a bath again, and then tries to proceed to the Masjid, but again he collapses, again he falls unconscious. For the second time then when he, again when he regains consciousness, now the third time round, again the same question, immediately, Asallan Nas, can you imagine, person has just opened his eyes from the state of unconsciousness, 
the first question, Asallan Nas, have the people performed their salah? If not, I need to go and join them for their salah with jama'ah. But now again Nabi Salaam tries, again he takes a ghusl, again he tries to wake up and he falls unconscious for the third time. Now after the third time, Rasulullah Salaam then again regains consciousness. Now he says, Muru Aba Bakrin Falyusalli bin Nas, give the instruction to Abu Bakr that he must become the Imam for the Salah and he must lead the Sahaba in the Salah. Now this is a very, very crucial and very important message for us. That what extent of importance Rasulullah gave to Salah. And not just performing his own Salah only, but Salah with Jama'ah. The Salah with Jama'ah is not compulsory, it's not wajib, it's not necessary upon women. But men, for men it is wajib to go and perform Salah with Jama'ah in the Masjid. The Salah with Jama'ah is wajib. And to go and form it in the masjid, if the masjid is close by, or salah with jama'ah is taking place close by, this too is very, very highly emphasized. So to what extent Nabi Islam gave this importance? So now we too should be, on the one hand, the salah itself. How much importance should be given to performing the salah regularly? And then not delaying it. As soon as the time comes in, we should proceed immediately to perform the salah. There should be no delay unnecessarily. The salah, the time of the salah enters and the azan has gone out in the masjid, that is sufficient for us. We should now proceed to perform our salah. Then the other thing is, the men folk at home, we should be encouraging them in a nice way to encourage them to perform all their salah with jama'ah, not to be neglecting their salah with jama'ah and to encourage by means of the ta'aleem, the ta'aleem of the fazail amal, the fazail salah, by reading this regularly in our homes, inshallah, our men folk will also, if anybody is not very punctual and regular with the salah with jama'ah, inshallah, with the barakat of this ta'aleem, they'll become regular. And we ensure that ourselves, our children at home, we are performing our salah on time, in good time. Not in the last moment of time, just haphazardly getting done with it. No, properly, in the proper manner, and giving salah its due importance. Thereafter, among the things that occurred in this time, Nabi Islam gave some khutbah and uh, before the khutbah that we, the advice that he gave, among the things that used to take place in this time, because Rasulullah was now in this very, very, uh, in the state of severe illness, so as an ilaj, as an amal, he would recite the three quls, the last three quls, Surah Ikhlas, Surah Falak, Surah Nas. And he would then blow on his hands and pass it over his body. This was a common practice from before, but now in his last illness he became so ill that to raise his hands and blow on his hands, etc., this too became very, very difficult. To recite itself was becoming so taxing on him. As Aisha Siddiqa she says that I would recite the Mu'awidat now, these last three quls. I would recite it and I would then blow on his Mubarak hands and then help him to pass his hands over himself. Why blow on his hands? Because the barakat of the hands of Rasulullah who else can have that barakat? But she used to then recite it on his behalf so to say. What we understand is number one, these are the main things to do, first and foremost. The sunnat amal. 
there's an illness, there's some problem, there's some difficulty, we turn first to the amal that have been established from sunnah. What is established from sunnah? Whether it's an illness, whether it's some other matter. For example, the things mentioned in the ahadith, one is sadaqa. Illness also, Nabi Islam says, treat your patients. The patient now has to be treated. So now we only understand treatment with medication. That too is established from sunnah. But together with that, before that in fact, if possible, treat your patients with sadaqa. Sadaqa is a very, very great thing. Likewise, dua. Then to recite the mu'awwizat, this established from sunnah, to recite Surah Al-Fatiha seven times and blow on oneself. These are the standard sunnah practices. And we should start off with this. There are certain other permissible uh, means also that can be adopted. For example, some taweez that is done correctly, there isn't anything written in there which is not in order and there's no problem with the aqidah and belief either. The person is not believing the taweez to be something that will cure in itself. It's just a means, like medication is a means, the taweez is a means. If that is within the limits, it's fine. But it must never, we must never neglect these sunnat amal. We start off with these sunnat amal. And then if there's a need for something beyond that, within the permissible limits, that will be adopted, medication will be adopted, whatever other things need to be adopted, will be adopted, provided it's within the limits of Sharia and Deen. Then, in this time also, Nabi Sallallahu as Aisha once perceived that he was suffering a fever, and she asked him, are you feeling a feverish, a feverish, or feeling a fever? He said, yes, aku kama yu aku rajulani minkum. That the fever I experience is like the fever two people jointly experience, meaning that double the fever of an ordinary person. So Aisha Siddiqa then she was, Allah had blessed her with this inside. She immediately, this was a kind of, so to say, consolation. She said, but is this because you get greater reward? Nabi Sassim said, yes. And then he said, there is no difficulty that is experienced by a mu'min. That even if it's a thorn that hurts the mu'min, even if it is some other difficulty and inconvenience, but Allah Ta'ala makes that difficulty, that inconvenience become a means of the person's sins becoming forgiven. Now this is a very great consolation. That when a person is some, experiencing some difficulty, some hardship, some pain, some suffering, not to become despondent, not to lose hope, and to focus correctly. By focusing correctly, one will start feeling it less intense. It won't change anything. That in self, the thinking may not necessarily change anything, but it will change what one feels about it. And one will feel it much lesser. If one just focuses on it like this is the only, I'm the only person suffering in the world, he'll feel that suffering ten times more, maybe a hundred times more. But he's focusing that this too is something, a means of my forgiveness, my sins are get, getting washed away. He'll start feeling lighter about it. So this was what Rasulullah expressed. One of the things he mentioned was Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha that I saw you being my wife in Jannah and having seen you in this manner that you are going to be my wife in Jannah this has made death somewhat easier for me. Now this was a way of consoling her also but what we understand from this and a very important point from this is that what rank and position Hazrat Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha also had in the eyes of Rasulullah and what Allah Ta'ala had blessed her with, that Nabi Islam is saying that I have already been shown that you are my wife in Jannah. 
So, and the fact that I have seen this and have been shown this, it has made death somewhat easier for me. Among the parting advices, just to round off on this, among the parting advices, there were several things Rasulullah mentioned in the last moments of life. Among these things, one of the aspects was, Akhrijul Mushrikeen min Jaziratil Arab. Remove the Mushrikeen from the Arabian Peninsula. One hadith says, Akhrijul Yahud. Take the Yahud out. So, removing the Mushrikeen, removing the Yahud from the Arabian Peninsula, this was not just some kind of physical aspect only. But it was to keep the place clean from the influence of the Mushrikeen, from the Yahud and Nasara. Now that's the aspect that we have to reflect upon. And we have to consider that to what extent we've allowed the influence of the Yahud and Nasara, the influence of the Mushrikeen to come into our lives, to come into our homes, to come into our functions, to come into our weddings, to come into so many aspects of our life. When our break comes, a kind of holiday, a break comes, whose way comes into our life? How do we conduct ourselves at that time? So all these are the aspects that we need to reflect upon that are we conducting ourselves in the way that Rasulullah has expressed or are we now gone into some other direction, some other tangent as they say. So this is the very crucial thing that we have to keep ourselves, our families, our homes, our functions clean from the influence of the Yahud and Nasara. By adopting their ways, we are obviously being influenced by them. We hold our weddings like theirs, with all the kind of wrongs that take place and what not happens. So what, what, have, what appreciation we have shown for this passing advice of Rasulullah Then, in our dressing, whose dressing are we inclined to? Are we inclined to the dressing and the manner of dressing of the Sahabiyat and the type of dressing which Allah Ta'ala describes in the Quran Sharif, وَلِبَاسُ التَّقْوَىٰ ذَٰلِكَ خَيْرٍ that the garments of taqwa, that's the best. Or are we inclined to the dressing of the Yahud and Nasara, the dressing of the Mushrikeen, what they provided, their styles, their fashions, their ways, then obviously we have not appreciated the parting advice of Rasulullah So this is the way that we need to now be very conscious about, that this parting advice was not just to get the people out physically, but also to be safe from their influence. So we need to now reflect upon this. Then among the last advices which Rasulullah gave and he repeated over and over to the point that the Sahaba say, those who were there, those who were present from the household, that these were among the last words that Nabi Sallallahu continuously repeated to the point where his Mubarak tongue could no more now express it. And they could just hear the sound coming from his Mubarak chest repeating the same words. As-salah wa ma malakat aymanukum. As-salah wa ma malakat aymanukum. That be very very conscious of your salah and be very conscious about the treatment of your slaves. Your slaves in this our time and age, our servants, those who are under us in some way, those who have any authority over, how we treat them. This was the parting advice of Rasulullah wasallam repeatedly. Salah wa ma malakat aymanukum. What is our manner of treating others? And this is actually the summary of the whole of deen has come in this. Salah, 
Salah is the greatest injunction of deen. Of the hukukullah, Salah is the peak of it. So with Salah, everything else comes away under it. That all the other ibadat, etc., all the hukukullah, the rights of Allah Ta'ala, all this comes away in it. And Wama Malakat Imanukum, slaves, they are on the lowest rung of society. And the, often the most downtrodden. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is highlighting their treatment. Treat them well. So the hukukul ibad, if they are to be treated well, everybody else to a greater extent. So hukukul ibad, so hukukullah and hukukul ibad, both were covered very well. Completely. After all, is kalam and nubuwat. So these were the parting advices. This is what we need to take to heart. And saying this, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allahumma rafiq al-a'la, he had held his hand up and he said, Ya Allah, you take me to the highest companions. One explanation of this the Muhaddisin give is referring to the Anbiya alayhi salatu wasalam, the Siddiqeen, the Shuhada, the Salihin. These are the best companions, the highest companions. Right at the last moment also, Nabi Wasallam is concerned about being in the right, with the right companions. He was the Imam of all the right companions. He was the greatest of every companion. There couldn't have been anybody close to his greatness. But this was the message for us. That when Rasulullah is saying this, how concerned we should be about who are our companions. And companions, those who take us towards Allah Ta'ala. They are the real companions. They are the true companions. They are the people who would be truly benefiting us. People who remind us about our deen. They remind us to be righteous. They don't invite us towards wrongs. They don't invite us towards evils. They don't encourage us to do things which are against Allah Ta'ala's commands. They are the true companions. And companionship is not restricted and confined to human company. Even other things can become company. A book is company. That social media is company. That magazine is company. What a person is reading on their phone is company. That phone becomes company. And Allah forbid it can become the worst company that a person ever has. It can break a person's deen, break the dunya also. So this was the very, very major lesson that Rasulullah gave in his last moments of life. May Allah tabarak wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq that we take these Mubarak lessons to heart. This, this was the cry of Rasulullah as he's departing from dunya. This was the cry of his heart. The salah, how we cheat our people, how we cheat our servants and slaves, how we conduct ourselves, keeping ourselves free from the influence of the Yahud, the Nasara, keeping our homes, our lives, our clothing, our functions, keeping it clean from all these influences. This was the cry of his Mubarak hearts. The big question for us now is, are we going to take this cry to hearts? This was the cry of his Mubarak heart. Are we going to take this cry to our hearts? Or are we going to just dismiss it? Well, we heard it, and that's it now, we'll carry on with our lives. How will we face Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He's already said, Inni faratukum ala al I will be waiting for you there at Hawd al But if we have been dismissing his way of life, discarding it, and adopting the way of the Yahud and Nasara, will we ever be able to face him? So we need his shafa'at and intercession on the day of Qiyamah. And we need his, uh, the Mubarak water of Kawthar from his Mubarak hand. We need to take his, the cry of his hearts to hearts. Inshallah, in this way, Allah Ta'ala will grant us the best of dunya also. We'll become successful in dunya and we'll become really successful in the akhirat. Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma laka alhamdu kulluhu wa laka shukru kulluhu. Allahumma la nuhsi thanaan alayk. 
انت كما اثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو اهله ربنا ولنا انفسنا وان لم تخف لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب امورنا بالخير بيدك الخير انك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من ازواجنا وذرياتنا قرة اعين واجعلنا للمتقين اماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الابرار ربنا واتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامه انك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم انا نسالك من خير ما سالك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم انت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوه الا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد واله وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله